Mark chapter 2, verses 1 to 17. A few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. They gathered in such large numbers that there was no room left, not even outside the door, and he preached the word to them. Some men came, bringing to him a paralyzed man carried by four of them. Since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof about Jesus by digging through it and then lowered the mat the man was lying on. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now some teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, Why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Immediately, Jesus knew in his spirit that this was what they were thinking in their hearts. And he said to them, Why are you thinking these things? Which is easier, to say to this paralyzed man, Your sins are forgiven? Or to say, Get up, take your mat and walk? But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the man, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. He got up, took his mat, and walked out in full view of them. This amazed everyone, and they praised God, saying, We have never seen anything like this. Once again, Jesus went out beside the lake. A large crowd came to him, and he began to teach them. As he walked along, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, Jesus told him, and Levi got up and followed him. While Jesus was having dinner at Levi's house, many tax collectors and sinners were eating with him and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. When the teachers of the law, who were Pharisees, saw him eating with the sinners and tax collectors, they asked his disciples, Why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said to them, It is not the healthy who needs a doctor, but those who are ill. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, hello everyone. If you don't know me, I'm Jack. I'm a curate here. It's lovely to be with you. And I've got an opening question for you this morning. If you could have a sign above the door to church saying anything, what would it say? If the church door had a sign out into the world that said anything, what would you have it say? In fact, why don't you turn to each other? If you don't know each other, say hello. Uh, But if you do, Why don't you answer that question? Have a go at answering that question. I'll give you a minute. Go. Shall we come back together? Don't worry. I'm not going to take in feedback. But I knew a wise old Christian lady once who said to me that she would have a great big sign above the church door that said, This church is for sinners only. What do you think of that? Open to misinterpretation, maybe. 
But as we go through, I think it sums up our passage today quite well. If you don't believe me, let's see if I can convince you over the next 15 minutes or so. And in today's passage, we have two encounters from Jesus' ministry. Twice, Jesus helps the sick, physical and spiritual. Twice, the religious authorities respond by questioning Jesus, either in their hearts or publicly. Twice, these authorities half get it, but twice they miss the point. And there's lots of irony in this passage, which hopefully we'll see as we go through it. And through all of this, today's passage shows us what Jesus has come to do. And it's as we see what he's come to do that we get a sense of who he is. What Jesus has come to do and who he is. And as we go through, do keep that sign in mind. This church is for sinners only. Firstly, though, what has Jesus come to do? Well, we see what Jesus has come to do in the surprising twist of verse 5. And it is meant to be a surprising twist to the reader. Remember back to last week, if you were here, Jesus miraculously healed people. The fame that he got from doing that led him to retreat out of town. People were so desperate to come to him that he felt he had to retreat. Now he comes back into town and the people crowd him again. What do they want? Well, they're expecting more healing miracles. That's what he's famous for now. That's what they want to see. They've come for the buzz of seeing a miracle. And of course, that's why the men bring their friend, don't they? Jesus heals. Let's go and take our friend. And they go to a ridiculous amount of effort. A first century house in Capernaum wouldn't have looked like this. You can't really dig through that roof. And if you did, you'd only end up in the loft. Not much use. Instead, it looked something more like this. Here's one I made earlier. No, it wasn't me. A flat roof made of earth and straw and sticks laid over wooden beams. And these men, it says, they literally kind of dig and claw their way through that side of roof to bring their friend down into Jesus. They do it because, well, they care for their friend. They want him to be healed. And because they really believe that this man, Jesus, can help him. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, Son, you are healed. No. Wait. That's not what he says, is it? He says, Son, your sins are forgiven. And the first-time reader of Mark's gospel goes, wait, what? That's not what we expect him to do. And I imagine that's probably what the crowd thought too. And of course, as we read on, we see that Jesus will eventually heal this man. Of course he will. That's Jesus' heart for people. But Jesus is making clear that the miracle isn't the point. The miracle is a sign helping us to see the point. He says, so you know that I can forgive the man's sins, which is something you can't see. I'll heal him of his physical condition, something you can see. I'll heal him physically to prove to you 
I can heal him spiritually. And in doing so, Jesus is showing us that our deepest problem isn't actually physical. It's spiritual. It's sin. You see, the Bible says that sin is our failure to live the way God made us to live. It's our rebellion against God, our our rejection of him and his ways. And it's something, the Bible says, that we all do every day. That's why we confess together before. Because we're all sinners, we're all cut off, the Bible says, from our relationship with God. God is the source and the giver of all life. And so to cut ourselves off from him, well, it's not a good idea. It means ultimately we receive death. What the Bible calls sin's wages. But the good news here is that Jesus is declaring he has come to deal with that separation from God. Jesus says he has come for forgiveness of sins. And we see two sides of how Jesus does that in our two encounters here. With Levi... We see that Jesus doesn't leave us where we are. He doesn't wait for us to come to him. Instead, he actively seeks us out. He comes to us. He calls us. He meets us. That's why he came into the world, to call us to turn and follow him, to bridge the gap, the divide between us and God. But not only that, because with the paralyzed man, we see that Jesus doesn't reject us when we come. See, he knows us better than we know ourselves. He knows what we've done, what we've said to people, what we think. Yet he still deeply loves us. When we turn to him, sorry for our sin, as the song says, he sees the depths of my heart. And he loves me the same. Jesus has come to find us. Whoever we are, whatever we've done, he offers us forgiveness when we turn to him. And of course, we need to realize we need him. You see, in both encounters, the religious authorities, they're contrasted with the paralyzed man and his friends and with Levi and his friends. The religious authorities don't realize they need Jesus, even though he shows them that they do. They think that they can get forgiveness. They think they can be right with God by themselves. They think they can earn their way back to God and they don't need any help. And this leads them to condemn Jesus for daring to associate with anyone who doesn't think like them, who they have dismissed out of hand. Jesus responds to them, if we flip over to verse 17, by quoting a popular proverb. It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but those who are ill. You don't go to the doctor if you think there's nothing up with you. You go when you think there's something wrong. When you think, I need some help. Jesus says, that's who I'm here for. People who know they need help. 
That's what he means by, I have not come to call the righteous but sinners. He's saying, I can only heal you spiritually when you realize you're spiritually sick so that you accept my help. In other words, this church is for sinners only. Fundamentally, Christianity isn't a proud religion. It's not about self-help and sorting ourselves out. Actually, it's completely the opposite of that. At its core, it's about having the humility to say, you know what, I'm in a state here. I can't fix this myself. I've messed up. I'm really sorry, God. I need your help. And the good news is Jesus gives it. He heals the man. He sits with Levi, relationship restored, forgiveness fully, freely given. And I wonder what it's like to be in a church full of people who really know that. A church where asking for help we know is at the heart of our faith. Surely it means we We don't have to come in on a Sunday pretending that we've got it all together if we haven't. Surely it means we feel if we feel we need help with something, we don't have to hide it or try and do it on our own. Instead, we can ask for it. We can ask for help. We've done that with our faith. Why wouldn't we do that with other areas of our life, asking our sisters and brothers for help? Maybe that's you this morning. Maybe you are there. Put on my Sunday best. Put on my Sunday best face. Pretend everything's all right. Feel free. Please feel free to ask for help. Just before we move on to who Jesus is, and we'll just do that quickly, I'm going to chuck one more thing out at you. By all means, throw it back. But have you noticed, I've sort of seen that our society is changing. Maybe the biggest change since the 1960s. You know, in the 1960s, that cultural shift happened. We we kind of all know about it to some degree. A cultural shift happened that condemned the old ways. No more judging people. Instead, there was a, you know, an anything goes attitude. No one can condemn me. I'll do whatever I want. Anyone who disagrees with me, well, they're like got a couple of pictures for you. They're like these two. This is, this is me in about 30 years. No, uh, they're like these guys, you know, those fusty old clergy or those grumpy old ants. They're a bunch of Pharisees. They can't tell me what to do. But I wonder if more recently in society, we've realized that that wasn't quite right, actually, after all. High-profile cases in the news every few weeks are maybe symptomatic of that wider trend. As a society, we seem to be saying, and rightly, I think, that actually some things aren't okay. Actually, it turns out we've discovered that that anything-goes attitude, actually, it covered up quite a lot of bad. But there's potentially a danger for us here. Because while we've rightly seen that bad, if we think it's only those people who are bad 
the public figures being toppled one by one. If we think it's only those people over there who are sinful and bad, and actually we're great, you know, we've really got it all together. We've not done any of those things that those people have done. Well, then we're in danger of beginning to sound just like those religious authorities, just like those Pharisees ourselves. They said, oh, Levi, he, he takes money off people that he shouldn't. He lives a rich life and does whatever he wants. We're really good. We follow all the rules. He's really bad. Jesus shouldn't go and sit with him. And who is it Jesus condemns out of the two? See, if we're not careful, we might end up as a society being just a little bit like those religious authority, pointing the finger, saying others are beyond forgiveness, and thinking how great and perfect we are. But Jesus says, all of us need forgiveness. All of us need Jesus. You see, Jesus didn't condemn the religious leaders for thinking that sin was bad. Jesus thought sin was bad. He condemned them for the hypocrisy of thinking other people were bad beyond forgiveness, but they were good. Other people bad beyond forgiveness, but were good. Jesus says, no, all of you, everyone needs forgiveness. That's why he's called Levi and sat at table with him. Levi realized he'd messed up. He realized he needed forgiveness. What about us? What about us? Are we quick to point the finger and judge others, but think we're all right? Do we remember that we too need forgiveness in Jesus? But if that's why he's come, what does it tell us a lot more briefly, I promise, about who Jesus is? And this is where the irony meter goes up a bit because actually it's the religious authorities who give us the clue in our first section in verse 7. When they reject Jesus, they say, who can forgive sins but God alone? See, the rest of the crowd, they're sort of just stunned and amazed by what Jesus is doing. They're not really thinking much more about it. They're going, wow, look at this amazing miracle. Isn't this crazy? Oh, man, they're not really thinking much further than that. But the religious authorities, they pick up on the deeper point Jesus is making here about forgiveness. And they're right. You see, that's the thing with the religious authorities. We see throughout the Gospels, they're not stupid. In fact, they're very clever people. And they know their Bible really well. They know their Old Testament. They know only God can forgive sins. And so they know that Jesus is claiming something massive here. Jesus is claiming to have the power and authority of God. So what do they do at that point? They're the authorities. They can't ignore something like this. It's, it's too big a claim. It's too important. There's two options open to them then. They can either accept that Jesus is who he is and follow him like Levi, or they can reject him and oppose him. And here's where the irony kicks in, of course, because neither Levi nor the paralyzed men and his friends know the Bible as well as these religious authorities do. They don't know the ins and outs of it like those religious authorities. But in their actions, 
whether it's tearing up a roof to get to Jesus or whether it's dropping everything like Levi and following Jesus, well, it shows us that they recognize something the religious authorities miss. Instinctively, and it has to be instinctively, they see what the religious authorities don't. They see Jesus has God's authority. And it's that authority that leads Levi to drop everything. Imagine, this isn't just him giving up his job. This is him giving up his whole way of life. Everything that made Levi the man he was, he gives it up to follow Jesus. He doesn't know the ins and outs of the Old Testament as well as a lot of those religious authorities did. But he sees it in Jesus and he follows him. And that's how the religious authorities, with all their knowledge, enough to tell that this man's claiming something big, that's how they should have responded too. But they don't. Instead, they call him a blasphemer. They reject him. Of course, they'll kill him for it in the end. And if anything, that is the greatest irony of all at the heart of this passage. Because surely there's no greater sin, no act of greater rebellion against God than to reject and crucify the one with God's power and authority, his own son. The truly remarkable thing is beginning to be revealed to us here in Mark's gospel is that Jesus isn't just a teacher or even just a miracle worker. He's the one who can truly see into the depths of our hearts and heal them. That's something only God can do. God hasn't abandoned us. He hasn't left us in our rebellion and sin. He's come to help. He's come to rescue us in his Son. All we have to do is put our trust in him. Ask for help. Otherwise known as having faith. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for this passage, for what it shows of us of Jesus and all that he has done for us. We thank you so much that we come to you as forgiven sinners, that we haven't earned our salvation or anything that we've done to save ourselves. Help us to remember that this week, to know that we can ask for help because that's how we have salvation, to know that in Jesus we are saved and that is open to anyone and everyone who puts their trust in him. Lord, we pray for a world full of forgiven sinners. Help us to be people who don't judge, but who are so thankful to Jesus for all he's done for us. Thank you for faith and help us always to turn to him. And we thank and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.